our minds, that we might hear what you would have to say to us. And in hearing, may we be transformed according to your word. Now hear us as we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 21. Have you not heard, known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Does he who sits above the, the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint the word of the Lord thanks be to God and from the Gospel according to St. Mark in chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons and the, the whole city was gathered around the door and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning while it was still dark he got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed and Simon and his, Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that's what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder, does the name 
Rosemary Aquilina mean anything to any of you? Is there any familiarity? None? Okay. Um, if you've been paying attention to the news over the last few weeks, I think you'll find that the name Rosemary Aquilina is a wee bit more familiar than you might realise. She is the judge who presided over the sentencing phase in the case of Larry Nasser. In an unprecedented move, she permitted close to 160 young women and girls to take the stand and share their stories of abuse and of fear at the hands of this man who was in a position of absolute trust. As she and the gathered crowd and the media listened to the harrowing stories of these young women, she responded to each and every one of them with a word of comfort and with a word of encouragement. To one young woman she said, the military has not come up with a fibre as strong as you. She called her a heroine and she said, Mattel should make dolls of you. Then all the little girls would say, I want to be just like her. To another who shared the story of her anguish, she gave this very profound encouragement. Leave your pain here and go out and do your magnificent things. Leave your pain here and go out and do your magnificent things. What an absolutely wonderful and powerful word for anyone who's ever experienced pain at the hands of another. Too often, so many of us, when we experience pain, we tend to, some of us anyway, tend to internalise that pain. And we turn it into guilt. So that somehow, it's my fault. I must have done something that caused this to happen to me. I deserved this. And that guilt ends up becoming like a burning fever in the very core of our being that, that binds us and that holds us back from doing our magnificent things. This passage from Mark's Gospel speaks to us of a woman who was bound in a sense and who was very much in pain. We know absolutely nothing about this particular woman other than that she was Simon's mother-in-law and that she was in bed with a fever. There's a couple of things to note about this passage as we begin to think through it briefly this morning. Mark has this story begin immediately after a story about an exorcism in the synagogue. It's the same day. If you look back just a few verses, I, I, I think Jeremy preached on that passage last week, but if you look back you'll see this is all happening in Mark's telling, one event after another. So what you have here is Jesus moving from the realm of teaching and spiritual authority to the realm of family and community. In this story, he also demonstrates his authority. It's more subtle. It's not quite as clearly on the surface, but it's, but it's there in the, the words that Mark uses to tell this particular story. So what we see in this whole section of Mark's Gospel is this expanding portrait of the authority of Jesus. We've already been told in the passage last week that Jesus' teaching astounded the people. 
They had never, they, they, they had never heard anything like this before. They, 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 when they heard him teaching, they said that he taught with a type of authority that they had never seen in any of their leaders, in any of their own teachers. We also saw last week that this authority extended to the things that bound people emotionally and spiritually. So Jesus has authority as a teacher. He has authority over the realm of the spirit. And here in today's passage we see that he has authority not just over things that hold people back spiritually and emotionally, but apparently over diseases, over physical illness as well. Now before I go any further I need to say this. Although this is a story uh, about a physical healing, the point of the story is not about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. It's about Jesus and his authority. It's about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. I think it's very possible for some folks to read this passage and say, well, if he healed the woman in the story, why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he heal some of these folks that we, that we pray for on a weekly and for many of us on a daily basis? Now, these are very, very hard questions that even the greatest theologians wrestle with and have wrestled with since theologians began wrestling with questions about the nature and the justice of God. This passage isn't trying to answer these questions. It's not setting a precedent. The danger is that when we take this as just a healing story, we miss the point of the story itself. The story is part of this larger whole in this section of the gospel that's painting a picture of the authority of Jesus and how far that authority extends and how that authority is exercised. One of the key phrases in this passage relates to the way that Jesus heals this particular woman. In the ancient world, as so often today, there were a whole host of so-called faith healers. For most of them, there, there are certain elaborate words or, or rituals or a certain amount of cash that has to be handed over in order for uh, there to be even the possibility of healing. But what's worth noticing here in this passage is that when Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, there were no hoops to jump through. There were no fancy words. In fact, there were no words spoken at all. The text simply says this. He came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up, and the fever left her. No words are spoken. Jesus simply reaches out his hand and he touches her. I think all of you know that I've spent the last 18 months working as chaplain at Fellowship Village. While I was there, one of the things of which I became acutely aware was the importance of touch for so many of the residents. For many of them, particularly folks in skilled nursing, the touch that they received was, was very clinical in nature. Not that it wasn't caring, don't misunderstand me. The nurses and the CNAs cared for them very, very much and their touch was, was indeed a loving touch. But it was practical, it was medical, it was clinical. And I found very often that if I simply put my hand out, the person would, would take my hand and would often hold on to it for as long as I was able to stay. They just didn't want to let go. 
placing my hand on someone's shoulder, offering a hug by way of a greeting or a farewell, became something very, very healing. Jesus simply reaches out his hand and touches her. I said that this passage was also to do with authority. And I said it was very subtle. Well, it is. And it is. The word that Mark chooses to use here for touch is the Greek word krateo. It comes from the root word kratos. And kratos has to do with someone's right, their power, their authority. It's where we get words like democratic from, the power or the authority of the people. The word krateo has this same sort of, uh, of, of authority, meaning underlying it. It, it. it generally has to do with seizing someone, taking a hold of them, claiming them as their own. And this is where we seem to have a wee bit of a challenge to some of our own preconceived ideas of power and authority when we read this particular word in this particular context. Jesus is taking this woman by the hand and claiming her as his own in that very act. Ordinarily, the image of someone seizing another would be very, very oppressive. When someone exercises authority over another, it's often seen as power exerting its rights over one who is weaker. But here we see the one who has all power taking this other character in the story by the hand. And in an act of utter self-giving and intimacy, rather than using his power to take from her, he actually gives power to her. It's the opposite of what you might expect when this particular word is used. He offers her healing. He offers her wholeness. He offers her a brand new life. He came. He took her by the hand. He lifted her up. And the fever left her. But that's not where the story ends. There's one more thing that happens in this very short section. Once the fever left her, it says, she began to serve them. Now, there's a number of ways to think about this, and one could be quite critical of this particular response from a woman in a room full of men. But please bear in mind the cultural norms and assumptions that are in play in this particular passage. This woman's given new life. And with that new life, her first response is to serve, is to give back. The power that she has received, she shares with those who are willing to receive. And not only does she serve those who are there immediately, but you notice she opened her home. And it becomes a house of healing to all those who would come, to all those who would have need. Friends, as a church, as the family of God, Christ has reached out his hand and has claimed us as his own. I wonder how will we respond to that? I pray that whatever wounds we may have as a congregation, whatever wounds we may have as individuals, 
in the hands of Jesus in this house of healing around this table. We may leave our pain here and go out and do our magnificent things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is printed again in the bulletin, We Cannot Measure How You Heal. Again, it may, it may not be the most familiar hymn.